Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Fantasy and Adventure, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, we'll be talking with Sharon Shin about one of her latest books, Echo and Onyx. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the historical fantasy Falcon series. Sharon Shin has been part of the science fiction and fantasy world since 1995, when she published her first novel, the Shape Changer's Wife. Since then, she has produced more than 20 additional novels, one collection, a graphic novel, and assorted pieces of short fiction. She has written about angels, shapeshifters, elemental powers, magical portals, and now something called an echo. You'll find out more about that in a minute. Sharon has won the William C. Crawford Award for Outstanding New Fantasy Writer, a Reviewer's Choice Award from the Romantic Times, and the 2010 RT Book Reviews Career Achievement Award in the Science Fiction Fantasy categories. She's also had many of her books translated into Polish, German, and Spanish. Now, on to my review of Echo and Onyx. Brianna, our narrator, is the daughter of a country innkeeper. Her quick thinking and compassion during a job interview earn her a coveted position as a lady's maid for Lady Marguerite, the daughter of the governor of Lorenzo. Like many members of the nobility in this fantasy world, Marguerite has echoes, people who look and act just like her, but rarely move of independent volition and don't speak. Echoes were originally created by the goddess to protect nobles by foiling assassination attempts. As a lady's maid, Brianna must attend to dressing and quaffing Lady Marguerite and all three of her echoes, something she enjoys and shows a talent for. Down to earth and conscientious, Brianna soon makes new friends. Her new employer, who is sweet and gentle, also turns out to be lonely and in need of a confidant. The eligible and single Lady Marguerite is a pawn in the kingdom's politics. Her parents hope Prince Cormac will choose her as his bride, smoothing over a possible rebellion in the western provinces. Though Prince Cormac is pleasant enough, Marguerite has secretly given her heart to someone else. Brianna's other new friend, Nico, a handsome and jocular fellow, unfortunately turns out to be the apprentice to the king's inquisitor. Though Brianna is shocked to learn of his profession, she has a hard time resisting his attention. Nico seems to care for her and defends his professional duties persuasively, claiming his work keeps the kingdom safe. When Nico follows her, 
and learns that Marguerite has a secret, Brianna is torn. Nico claims she can trust him, but Brianna is not so sure. The stakes are raised when a king's illegitimate son assaults Lady Marguerite. The resulting struggle has tragic consequences, which force Brianna to masquerade as Marguerite's echo herself during public appearances, while acting as a lady's maid the rest of the time. Will she succeed in fooling Nico in order to protect Lady Marguerite? A romantic fantasy, Sharon Shin's new Uncommon Echoes series is an audible exclusive. With Echo and Onyx, Echo and Amethyst, and Echo and Emerald releasing simultaneously. Paperback release is slated for later in 2019. And if you'd like to hear an excerpt, of this audiobook, you'll have to look at the written transcription of the show and click on the link there. So, without further ado, let me welcome Sharon to the show. So, today we've got Sharon Shin on the show, and I've got some questions for her, starting off with a question about the Triple Goddess. The Triple Goddess is an ancient motif from Greek and Celtic mythology. And Sharon, you've brought the archetype into your series. Tell us how your triple goddess is different from the ancient versions of the European continent. So I wasn't really thinking about the ancient traditions of Greek or Celtic goddesses when I was writing the book. Um, generally, when I write any book, any fantasy novel, I do a certain amount of world building, and I often have some religion in there because most civilizations have some kind of spiritual tradition, so it kind of seems wrong if there's no spiritual tradition mm -hmm. in a story. Um, so, so that was part of the background, basically, of this world. Um, but also in this particular case, the books are about people who have what are called echoes. So there are high nobles walking around the world, and following behind them are one or two or three creatures that look identical to them. But they don't, the, the nobles don't consider these echoes apart from them or separate from them. They just consider them part of them. And so with the triple goddess, I have a, a religious entity that is one entity divided into three parts. So it's one in three. And so I like the idea how, how that was mirrored in my nobles. There's one person, but they have multiple entities. So uh, that was, and, and the, the echoes are considered gifts from the triple goddess. So she is many incarnations in one, and she gives the nobles many incarnations in one. So there was kind of that uh, symmetry, I think, in the way I wanted to describe the triple goddess. And also, so in the first book, the goddess and the temples are mostly background to the story. But by the third book, they play a fairly major role. So I wanted to introduce them in the first book, at least in the background. And that's good, because I, I did wonder uh, about the rules governing the priestresses. Uh, one of the priestresses plays a role in the first book. And so mm -hmm, we'll right. be getting more background from her then. So uh, Brianna, who's our heroine, she makes an observation about the king's housekeeper. <laughs> the king's housekeeper was more of an echo than the echoes themselves. Brianna is also the maid, so she's in a somewhat inferior position to Lady Marguerite, even though Lady Marguerite is very kind to her. 
What did Brianna mean when she said that? So to some extent, that was really just um, a metaphor that I was able to write because of the book. Um, the, 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 the echoes are, they, they're completely, devoted is the wrong word. I mean, they are just part of their originals. And so with the housekeeper, the king's housekeeper, she seems to have no other life except serving the king. It's like she doesn't have thoughts of her own or desires of her own or anything. All she wants to do is serve the royal household. So Brianna's thought was kind of um, a little sarcastic, I guess. You know, like, well, she doesn't even have a life of her own. All she, you know, she's practically an echo to the king. But I, I, it was more of a metaphor than anything else and the only the kind of metaphor you could have made in a book where you had echoes. So I just kind of liked using it. Well, I did feel like it made a comment about the servants and the people that they serve, that some of them are so dependent and so involved with the lives of the people they're serving that they don't develop right. their own lives, although Brianna does develop hers. Right, exactly. And I think that's why Brianna felt a little uh, sarcastic might be the wrong word. You know, Brianna clearly has her own life, even though she becomes very devoted to Marguerite. And that actually um, creates some tension for Brianna later on because she has to decide if she wants to continue devoting her life to Marguerite or living a life on her own. Exactly. Brianna goes through a lot. In order to keep Lady Marguerite's secret safe, Brianna has to pretend to be one of the Echoes. She, right. <laughs> so uh, she does become like a reflection of Marguerite for a while at least. During that yes. time, she attends a banquet, which is probably a dream for a girl from a country <laughs> inn. But then yeah. she spends the entire evening there. And how does she feel at the end of the evening? Well, um, on the one hand, she feels invisible because these the nobles are really uh, very self-involved. And most of them, you know, even though they, they feel an attachment to their echoes, or they feel that echoes are, are essential to them. They don't pay attention to them. They don't, you know, treat them like pets or, or individual people. So she feels invisible. But the other thing, she, like, you know, Brianna, she she was is a working girl. She grew up working at an inn, and she knows how to cook and sew and clean, and she takes care of people, and she's industrious. She's busy all day long, and that's just what she thinks people do. And then here she is at this lavish dinner with all these rich people and she's kind of stupefied because all they do is gossip and flirt and gossip and flirt and talk about things that aren't important and she's like how can people spend their whole days doing nothing and like you get the sense that the older people the king maybe the, the parents of some of the younger nobles are engaged in trade and commerce mm -hmm. and politics and you know they're doing things that have some value but it's still not the hands-on labor that Brianna is used to. So for her, it's just like this completely different world that she never imagined could exist. And in some respects, she doesn't think it's as valuable um, as, as the world that she grew up in, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I could see that when I was reading about Lady Marguerite, I did notice that. And again, she's one of the nice nobles and she's a little deeper than most of them, but she was taking an awful lot of naps and I thought, well, she just doesn't have that much to do. I mean, right. she's waiting around to see if she's going to be married off and uh, the right. rest of the time she has to get dressed up and get her hair done and that's it. 
Well, and, and like I, when I was growing up, I mean, I love Jane Austen books and mm-hmm. a friend of mine didn't read them until she was, I think in her forties. And she calls me up and she's like, these people need to get a life. What are they doing? <laughs> so there's kind of an echo of that, you know, because um, I think a lot of people maybe uh, who, who are normal working class people think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be rich? And and my guess is probably people who are rich are working pretty hard. Otherwise, they wouldn't be rich. But mm-hmm. I, in, in this book, it was almost the, you know, Jane Austen world of the idle rich who are just all they care about is making marriages and then, you know, blending their property or whatever. And for Brianna, that's just that's just not the way people should live their lives. Yeah, it was very much like that. Well, as Lady Marguerite continues in her deception, she becomes more and more overwhelmed by the challenge of keeping her secret. And Brianna, too, finds herself in the position of having to lie constantly. How does this change their view of mankind? I think for both of them, it's it's very, it's, it's, it is world changing. Um, you know, Brianna grew up simple country girl. She works the farm. She does honest labor, you know, and she pretty much always knew that her life was going to be a life of work and service and, and she would want to do well at it. Marguerite is the daughter of a noble. She knows that her life will contain, you know, um, an advantageous marriage that will benefit her family and she is prepared to live this life. So both of them pretty much from the time they're born have had a sense of how their lives were supposed to unfold. And then this big, terrible thing happens and their lives are not going to unfold that way unless they're able to conceal it, which means lying and doing more and more desperate things. And I think that makes both of them question themselves and Brianna, particularly looking around going, well, if I'm this capable of lying, is everybody else this capable mm-hmm. of lying? And, and, you know, and, and the answer is yes. And so it disillusions her a lot. But I think because the situation is so desperate, she doesn't have a whole lot of time to sit around and be philosophical about it. You know, it's just like, oh, my God, this is happening. Other people could be doing it. I don't have time to think about that. I've got to fix this. So, you know, I think maybe later she would have a quiet, nervous breakdown or something. (laughs) But at the moment, she's just trying to power through. Right. And if you can't be trustworthy yourself, even if you have really good motivation, it's very hard to trust other people. And that is, of course, something that comes up for her. Can she trust the man that she's very attracted to? Yeah. Right. Well, and then another another thing that uh, she thinks, just just going over some of the observations she thinks, uh, at one point she says, luck is something that is out of her control. And uh, I wondered, luck, is it the same as fate? Do you think uh, they control? Is there such a thing as controlling one's fate in the world of the triple goddess? Generally, for me, I was thinking about the difference between the two words. Um, I think fate. I think a fate is something that is set. So, if you are born and you're fated to have something happen to you, um, you can't really change it. It's, it's set. Whereas luck, I think of as being something sudden and unexpected. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's like you know, it, it jumps out at the shadows at you. So, mm-hmm. I. I 
think, you know, if you're, you're walking down the road and good luck would be you see, you know, somebody's dropped a hundred dollar bill and you're like, wow, that's great. Bad luck. You're walking down the road and somebody hits you with a car, you know? So, and I, and I think in each case, those aren't things you can control. And, and, and Brianna's situation is so precarious and she knows that some small thing can destroy them at any moment. So I think she's right to think she can't control her luck. And she's also right to think her luck is going to be really important. So I, 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 I think um, she's right to be nervous. <laughs> she certainly is. So uh, moving on to her lover, Nico, he says at one point, if he had to choose between being moral and being happy, he might choose being happy. Can you talk about that more and what it says about his character? Yeah, um, Nico, he was raised by a single mother and he had to work hard to get everything he wanted. And so he's one of those people also like Brianna, who thought his life was kind of laid out before him, but but that he had to work hard to achieve what he wanted. And um, I think for the most part, Nico is and wants to be a good, straight, believable, reliable person. So having Brianna thrown into his path and then having this having to make this terrible decision about Brianna is something he never anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think generally speaking, Nico would always do the right thing, but I think he might bend rules a little bit. Like if there was a, uh, say a young pickpocket that he caught and instead of arresting the kid, if he thought he could nudge the kid on to have a better life and, you know, he would, he would do that instead of, you know, going by the strict law. So I think those are the places where Nico would have, bent the rules in the past but with Brianna it's a really big bend and I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think generally speaking he would make those other concessions I, I don't think in other situations he would choose happy over moral except for it's because he cares about Brianna so much but he also is basically a happy guy I mean you know generally speaking he likes his life um, he he's on the path to a good career um, you know, he, he lives in a cool city. He's met this cute girl, you know, so I think generally speaking, he's happy, but this has really caused him to, I have to ask a lot of key questions. For an inquisitor in training, he does have a, a rather happy personality. I know, I know. And everybody's like, you know, you really don't seem like this is the right job for you. <laughs> and I think, but, but he's kind of like, you know, the, the Boy Scout person. He's like, you know, but this is a good job because we do good things, you know, we protect the king. And, and so he sees, he sees the job in the, the, the stability it brings to the realm. And you do need some police type characters, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do. So, and, and that's, that's what Nico sees. And I think he hasn't actually seen the dark side of it so much. So again, that's something that he, um, once he's confronted with that, you know, he's going to have to think about it a little bit more. Well, we've got Nico on one hand, but we also have another man whose actions have a great influence on Brianna, and that is Jameson, the king's illegitimate son, who ends up assaulting Lady Marguerite, which precipitates a crime of self-defense. And I was really interested, uh, you spent some time when Nico and Brianna become lovers, exploring how Nico interacts with her. Can you tell us a little more about that and contrast it to Jameson's behavior? Yeah, so 
Jameson, like you said, he's the king's illegitimate son, and he's that's he, made him really bitter because he's very close to wealth and power, but he knows he's never going to have it, and so he, you know, he wants things and he can't have them, and and so he he does bad things, and the king feels guilty that he had this illegitimate son, so he indulges Jameson, which means basically Jameson does whatever he wants. He's, he seduces people, he hurts people, and he never is forced to account for that. Um, Nico, like I said, you know, has a, a single mom. He had to work hard to get where he is, and he's, you know, pretty much of a, a straight arrow guy. So he is the kind of person who respects women, and, and he's not going to be harmful. And I, the scene you're talking about where, where Brianna and, and Nico first make love mm-hmm. is one of my favorite scenes because of what it illustrates about Nico. And also, so I, I don't know, back in the 70s or 80s, whenever a lot of the romances were um, bodice rippers, mm-hmm. you know, the type where you had the, the pirate or the, the highwayman and he kidnapped the heroine and, and the books often opened with a rape scene between, you know, the hero and the heroine. And then as the book went along, they fell in love and she basically tamed this wild man. And I talked to some of the older um, romance writers and they said some publishers, you know, insisted that was the formula that people use. And I never liked those books. <laughs> you know, they were, they were not sexy or fun books to me. I mean, you don't start with a rape and then fall in love with your rapist. That's a horrible, horrible trope. So, but I did like the, like the Georgette Hare books, um, where you would have a noble knight grab a woman and, and kiss her, you know, and hold her for a few minutes against her will and never went beyond a kiss, but still there was some element of coercion. And I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of romantic. Well, then I, when I got older, you know, it, it didn't <laughs> seem so romantic. And when I started writing, I found that even though I had liked those books and I read them, I didn't want to write those books, mm-hmm. you know, and so, I have a lot of books where the heroine initiates the first kiss or whatever. But in this scene with Nico and, and Brianna, I really, I wanted to illustrate that he asks for consent at every point. He doesn't even ask for consent. He basically makes sure she asks him to go forward because he does not want to in any, in any way to seem to be forcing her. And so I liked that scene so much because of what it illustrates about him. You probably wrote this before Me Too exploded, but I thought it was very timely. Yeah, and I think, I can't remember, um, it probably maybe was about the same time, mm-hmm. or Me Too was happening as I was doing my edits or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly is, it certainly is a love scene for the Me Too era. Mm-hmm. It was. Well, moving on to uh, the books as a whole, Echo and Onyx is, again, one of three, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess we've got that mirroring. There's also two other Echo books. And the series as a whole were selected to be part of an Audible exclusive with print versions following later. Uh, by the way, have you gotten word when print or ebook might be out for our <laughs> listeners? I believe it's going to be July, July 21st. Originally, I thought it was going to be June 21st, but I think it's going to be July. So it'll be this summer. Um, and for listeners who check, I have a, a website and a Facebook page, and I will make announcements on both of them when I know for sure. Um, and I think the pre-order links on Amazon will be up relatively soon, but I honestly don't know the answer to that. So. Okay. Well, I think that gives us a good idea. 
what has the experience of working with Audible taught you? Do you anticipate audiobooks overtaking print books and sales at some point? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I myself don't listen to a lot of audiobooks because um, <laughs> I'm not doing a lot of things that don't involve some other kind of words, you know, mm-hmm. so like if I'm writing, I don't want to listen to a book. If I'm working on my job, I don't want to listen to another book. Um, if I'm talking on the phone, I don't want to listen to a book, you know, and so for me, there aren't tons of situations in which like um, I, don't, I don't commute, for instance. So if I were in the car, believe me, I would be listening to audiobooks. I think that would be awesome. But since I don't, and I'm rarely, you know, I'm not doing cross-country trips or anything, I don't listen that often. But mm-hmm. I, the times I have listened to books have been when I'm cleaning the house, generally, because I don't really love cleaning the house. And so it's kind of fun to have somebody telling me a story. But um, I, I just don't do it that often. So I'm hard, I'm not really a good barometer of whether or not they're going to take off. But a lot of people I know love audiobooks. And I've been, you know, the people I know who are commuters love them or people who travel a lot love them. But I also have known a couple of friends recently who've been pretty sick and they haven't had much energy. So they're basically lying in bed watching TV. Well, for them, listening to audiobooks has been great, you know, because it doesn't, you don't even have to hold the book in your hands. You know, you can just close your eyes and listen. And um, one of my mom's friends was losing her sight. And so for her, audiobooks was a wonderful resource. But I mean, I think for the millennials, audiobooks and, and digital books are becoming more common than paper. I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked up statistics. So I'm thinking like people my age, well, you'll, you'll often hear them say, oh, I, I like the way a book feels. I like the way a book smells, you know, right. um, and, and I feel that way, but I'm thinking maybe the next generation won't feel that way. So, you know, maybe in 20 years, the answer to the question would be different. Okay. Um, so another thing about the Audible exclusives offer, though, is that three books debuted at the same time. Did you have to write all three in a short period of time? <laughs> yeah, that would have been impossible. Um, <laughs> so I had I had started writing the first book, um, I don't know, I, two and a half, three years ago maybe. And generally for me it takes six to nine months to write a book. You know, I'll, I'll write the first draft in four to six months and then I'll do revisions and do more revisions and um, that's how I did each of those, the books. I hadn't, I wasn't under contract with them. And so, but I knew I wanted to write three of them. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I finished the first one and the first one hadn't sold, I thought, well, I'm writing the other two books anyway. And in a way this was really a gift because I have written series when the first two books were in print and I was writing the third and fourth book and suddenly there was a detail that came along and I'm like, Ooh, I really wish I could have put that in the first book or, Ooh, I really wish that wasn't in the first book. So, but you know, you're stuck with it. I mean, you know, you have to write around it. So um, with the echo books, since I, they, they weren't published until they were all done. It really enabled me to make sure everything harmonized. And I, I loved that. So the third book, it starts before the first book starts and it ends after the second book. So, mm. it, you know, it covers the entire range of time. And there are certain scenes in it that are, are shown, they're the same scene, but they're shown from a different perspective. So when I was doing my final edits on the third book, it was so complicated. I would have the third 
book manuscript open and I would have the first manuscript open and I would go through paragraph by paragraph to make sure that the details were the same. And I, I had like these complex calendars written out, you know, so yeah. this happened on day five in this book. So it better happen on day five in that book. Oh my God. So um, it, I didn't write them all at once, but I did the final edit of all of them at once. And then when they went through the um, production process at Audible, you know, you get the copy edited manuscript and you have to read through it and, you know, double check corrections and do your proofing. And that all came one after another. So that was a, a, a huge amount of work in a pretty short period of time. But the writing itself was spaced out over a couple of years. So that's good for binge listening. I guess that's a thing that's coming up more for millennials that they want to binge watch or binge listen. Right. They're immersed in yeah, the universe. That was- yeah, that was the thought, you know, like um, maybe people will buy all three at once. I don't know if that's happened or not, but um, I think that's probably what I would do. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. some of my favorite authors, I, I, I would have bought them all at once. So we'll see. Are you working on more books at that world or what are you working on? I have an idea for another book in that world. Um, I guess I'll see, you know, if, if enough people are intrigued by the echoes that it's worth going back. Um, because all the writing and production last year was so much effort and I wasn't done till I think late November, I'm taking this year off Mm -hmm. Um, for the past, for the past like 30 years, I've started a new book in January. I'm very much a creature of routine. So, you know, I'll start in January. I'll write till I'm done. I'll do some edits and I'll take off, you know, the Christmas and I'll start again in January. And this year I thought, you know, I just, I need a break from that. (laughs) It's been a lot of work. So it's been kind of weird. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, there's a lot of like on a Saturday afternoon when I've got a couple hours, I'm like, oh, I should be writing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll watch TV instead. I mean, <laughs> it's been really strange, but I've enjoyed it. And um, I did write one short story for uh, an anthology that I think will be coming out. Um, and I'm thinking about what I might want to write next. But I've gotten a lot of readers who will email and ask. Um, I have a series called Elemental Blessings, and there's four books in this series. And it would make sense to write a fifth book. And people, keep asking me if I'm going to I'm like, mm, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe, but, um, so there's a couple things I could do. It's just, maybe I need this little break first and then I'll think about what to do and then I'll start again next year. Cause there's five elements. So you're missing one, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got to round it <laughs> off. <laughs> exactly. That's what everybody says. So, um, you know, and, and they're right. And I, you know, I don't have an idea that I'm dying to do, but, I, certainly, I'm sure I could sit down and, and plot something out. And there's these wonderful characters. And, you know, and it's a really fleshed out world. And, um, you know, I on my Facebook page, in the in the Elemental Blessings, people go to a temple and they pull blessings that give them guidance for the day or the week, whatever. And so on my, my Facebook page, I pull blessings every Monday morning and I post them and I interpret them. And I have a lot of readers who really like that and they'll, they'll draw their own blessings and say, oh, these are the three that I got. And so that's kind of a fun ritual. So I think, you know, bringing out a fifth book in that world would kind of bring people back to that ritual also. So someone we'll made you some blessings made out of bottle caps, right? Those are quite beautiful. Yes. They painted yes, the they bottle are. caps for you. So you have some very engaged fans. <laughs> Oh, people have done some really cool things and they'll send like um one one of my readers, she has sent me photos of some tattoos she's gotten that are based on the blessings and um 
people have told me that they've had parties where people were drawing blessings and then they would, you know, write them down and this became their life blessings. Somebody, um, when her son was born, she emailed and asked me to draw blessings for her son. And I mean, it's just really, some really cool things. So, so it'd be good to return to that world because there's, there's, it's such richness to it that, um, you know, maybe, I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll see. And thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to us today on the New Books Network Fantasy and Adventure Channel. I've been talking to Sharon Shin about one of her latest novels, Echo and Onyx, available on Audible. To find out more about Sharon Shin in general, you can look her up on Facebook It's under Sharon Shin Books, all one word, and Shin is spelled S-H-I-N-N. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the historical fantasy Falcon series, beginning with The Falcon Flies Alone. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more. It's at Gabrielle Author. My name is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E Author And I hope you'll tune in for July's podcast.